listening to Law and Gospel on this Open Mic Friday, June the 21st, in the year of our Lord 2019. It's the first day of summer. And there are phone numbers that you can phone, and we would encourage you to phone, even if you don't have that much of a question, because we have a new phone system, and this is the first time we're going to be trying it out for Open Mic Friday. How do you phone? In your St. Louis area, you just dial 8210850. But anywhere in North America, 1-800-730-2727. Would you like to be the first person on Open Mic Friday in order to use our new telephone system? Don't hesitate to call at all. As I said, 8210850 or toll free 1-800-730-2727. Those of you who are listening this past week, uh, you realize that, oh, about eight days ago, I had uh, surgery uh, to replace an aortic valve which usually means opening up the chest. And sometimes three to four months, you're down. But we had a new procedure which we used, and we're looking forward to that, which we used. It's called TAVR, and the downtime is overnight. So that's really quite different. Okay, I think we're ready to go to the phone lines and have somebody, for the first time, uh, talk to us. Hello, is this uh, Peter? No, this is Sue, his wife. (laughs) Oh. Hi, Pastor Baker, how are you? Very good. Good, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for taking my call. Am I the honorary first call on your new phone system? You certainly are, and you really sound good. I do, well, excellent. Well, thank you. I'm hoping I win that million dollars for being the first caller. Uh, unfortunately, that was uh, half a million. So oh. <laughs> you'll have to give half of it to your husband, Peter. Oh, doggone it. All right. Oh, well, it is what it is. Um, I wondered if you could take the time to talk about the rapture and the time of tribulation. We as Lutherans don't believe that. Is is that correct? A lot of pastors that are reputable on the other Christian radio station preach it, and I'm confused. Is it true, or is that just a metaphor in the the book of Revelation? Here's where the problem is. It's how you read the book of Revelation. They Uh read it in a chronological sense, which means uh, you have three different kinds of things happening in the book of Revelation, uh, and they begin in chapter 5. Uh, okay. The seven seals are opened up, and then that's followed by seven trumpets, and okay. that's followed by seven globes. And uh-huh. they think, well, this is referring to Jesus coming back three times. Ah, Whereas okay. when we look at it, and boy, Dr. Brighton's book is the best one to look at. Okay. Um, Revelation. You can't get a better one. It's put out by Concordia Publishing House. He all right. shows that all three of those are really talking about the same event. 
Okay. One from the point of view of human beings, one uh-huh. from the point of view of angels, and one from the point of view of God. But they're all referring to what the rest of the Bible says. When Jesus comes back, he's only coming back once. And uh, just take a look at uh, Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats are going to appear in the clouds at the same time, with the sheep going to heaven and the goats not. So nowhere in the Bible does it give this idea of a thousand-year reign of Christ Mm -hmm. here on earth. It talks about uh, a thousand-year reign, but we understand that to mean from the time that he left at the ascension until the time when he comes back uh, on Judgment Day. Okay, great. Well, that explains it perfectly. I appreciate it, because I'd like to have that knowledge. If and if, in case anybody ever brings that up, so that's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Baker. That's great. You have a wonderful weekend. And you have a wonderful time with your husband, Larry. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Are we on the air? That's not supposed to be put out there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, t- tell Peter I apologize. <laughs> All right. So this, this secret's out. What can I say? Okay. All right. Goodbye. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. All righty. And we're just going to go down the line now and uh, talk to our next individual. Hi, you're on the air. I'm Pastor Baker. Is this Michael? Yeah, oh, why? You, you tricked me. I was listening to you on the radio because I couldn't hear you. Let me turn it off. Um, yeah, I was listening to what you were saying about, uh, about you know, how you know the Catholics think the same way, that it goes in cycles or something, or, you know, that part of Revelation. But if you think it's patterned after the Feast of Trumpets, and of course, in the Feast of Trumpets, when they were when they were going around Jericho, they went around it seven times for seven days or something like that. But in the end, judgment happened. You know. Oh, that's a good point to make. Thank you yeah. very much for that. I had I was, slipped my mind. But I, uh, I, I did have a question, kind of for Absolutely, you. Michael. Here it is. Let me see if I can. Oh, here it is. It's in the Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty-five. It just opens with the say, uh, sentence. I do not want you to become unaware of this mystery, brothers, so that you will not become wise in your own estimation. Then it goes on saying, A harding has come upon Israel in part until the full number of Gentiles come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. And I'm saying the reason why he starts it that way is because it's really uh, an answer to a riddle. And the riddle is in, uh, let's see, here it is, Matthew chapter... 13 verse 33 he said he spoke to them in another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened and and um that's like the riddle and that's the answer to the riddle and the whole thing you could put this under the title of is uh is pentecost you know because whenever you whenever you mention leaven at least mixed with bread that's uh that's a reference to pentecost and that's that's like an answer to what Pentecost really is. That that particular verse uh, in in the book of in uh, Romans. Uh, yes, I'm understanding what you're saying here. Uh, we do know from uh, Romans chapters uh, nine through eleven, though, that yeah. Paul makes it very clear that not all Israel is of Israel. So when he talks about the full Israel, he's talking about the believers who follow, of course, uh, with Isaac, the, right. the, those who believe the promise, in comparison to those who think they're part of Israel because they're related to Abraham. Right. 
And so he does make that distinction. But the point that you made is very helpful for us, and I sure appreciate it, Mike. Okay. God bless. And we're just going to go on down the line. Okay, wait a second here. Uh, well, we had somebody on, but I don't think we do right now. At any rate, well, let me just try this. Nope. Numbers to phone are 8210850 or toll free 1-800-730-2727. And we do have a call coming in on line number one. We'll let... Um, our phone screener get a hold of that and put it up, and uh, it looks like it's from. Let me see here. No, unfortunately, something's going wrong. Number one. Number one. Okay, let me go there and drop that one. There you go. Okay. Hi. Uh, is this uh, Mark? Steve? Steve. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, okay. Um, knocked and the door will be open, seeking you will find. Is that in the Bible or just something we've made up over time? Uh, what was it you said again? Uh, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. Are those actually in the Bible or did we just kind of make those up over time? No, no, those are part of the Bible. Uh, okay. But you have to know who he is addressing. He's not addressing unbelievers. He's addressing believers. Anytime you seek as a believer, you will find. Anytime you ask, he will answer immediately. In fact, there's a uh, parable that uh, talks about a person who keeps persisting uh, to get a judge to make a ruling. But then Jesus goes on and says, the true God, you don't have to persist. As a believer, you ask just once, seek, you will find. Knock, it will be answered. And that's re ask and it shall be uh, received. So that, uh, yes, that's a promise for believers that God will always be at your side. Well, where was that in the Bible that it talked about that kind of leads you to understand that that's for believers and not believers, I mean, instead of unbelievers? It comes from a point of view of law and gospel. An unbeliever is unable to respond properly to God. For example, an unbeliever would be like in Luke 15, where you have a lost sheep. You don't have the lost sheep seeking the shepherd. He's lost. The shepherd seeks the lost sheep, picks them up, puts them on his shoulders, and carries him back home. I don't find anywhere in the Bible that an unbeliever, because he's an unbeliever, is able to make a request to God because he doesn't believe in the true God. Yeah. But, like, if somebody reaches the bottom and they've always heard of or they've heard of a God before and they start seeking because they're like curious. Isn't that uh, looking for an answer and trying to come to God, even though they're not sure they believe yet. So they'd be an unbeliever still. God would look at the heart to see whether or not there's faith there. Uh, a lot of people have weak faith 
and you could be describing someone like that, and that would be no problem at all uh, for God to recognize them that they have at least a glimpse of faith, and therefore when they call upon him, he will answer them. So we need to be careful to make sure we're dealing with believers, not unbelievers, and If you are calling upon the true God uh, for help, you may have a faith of a mustard seed, but it doesn't matter how big it is because God recognizes it since he put it in your heart by the Holy Spirit, creating me a clean heart, O God. And so there are a lot of people who may not realize they're Christian because they think they have such weak faith. But that would be like some of the disciples who, in this uh, one, of, one of the stories coming up, the Samaritans are not dealing well with Jesus, so the disciples want Jesus to destroy them. And that's really weak faith. They still had faith, but they did not have a faith that they could understand the meat of the word. They were still on the milk of the word. Is... Um... So when, when God and Jesus, or Triumph God, offers us salvation, it's a gift that they're offering. We did nothing to, to deserve it. But, I mean, we're accepting the gift. It's not worth boasting about because it's such a gift you'd be an idiot not to accept it. But aren't we doing something by accepting it? Well, let me ask you, are um, you married with children? Yes. Okay. When did your children finally accept the gift that you were their parent so that they could consider themselves as your children? They haven't, but your other example is adoption. And a lot of times teenagers and middle schoolers are adopted as well, and they do get a choice. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, An adoption, you may ask a child if they want to be adopted or not, but that adoption doesn't come through what the child is saying. You then have to still have a judge. You have to have uh, uh, parents who are willing to adopt, etc. I've been involved with a number of adoptions, and I can't remember where a final decision was made by the child. These children hardly even know uh, their parents. The last one I dealt with was they were receiving a child from Russia they had never seen. And that child did not have any contribution or cooperation in his uh, adoption. It was an action done outside of him. And that's how God recognizes. Jesus himself says, you did not choose me, I chose you. But doesn't he choose everybody and then some people just don't accept it? No. I mean, he wants everybody to come to him. That's true, but it is very clear from the scripture that those who refuse the gift of salvation, remember, he forgave the sins of everyone. Everyone's sins are forgiven. But you, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, have the ability to reject that. And why somebody rejects the forgiveness of sins in heaven as their home it definitely shows that they're under the influence of Satan and they believe Satan more than they believe God, as did Eve when Satan said to her, no, you can become like God. You can be your own God if you only eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for some reason, she believes Satan rather than God. 
So it's not that we accepted something, it's that the non-believers rejected it. Yes. The fact of the matter is, is that nobody goes to heaven or hell because of any work or statement of will that you do. You go to hell if you do not have faith. You go to heaven if you have faith. And the biggest question of all Christianity, in my opinion, is why are some saved and others are not? And the Bible gives no answer to that. And so we Lutherans remain silent on that question. Right, right. Well, um, before I get cut off here, I want to say uh, one other question, but I also want to say blessings to you and what you're going through. And I, I appreciate you uh, being there. I always uh, learn or uh, at least make me think and, you know, go to uh, the Bible and think about things. But uh, on your last statement, what about the unbelievers that have never, you know, and the guy in the jungle, the proverbial guy in the jungle, they haven't had a chance to reject anything yet. Yeah, that's a question, once more, that we get back to this main thing, why are some saved and others aren't? Is that sufficient? I did a sermon not long ago where I showed five ways in which babies were saved in the Bible apart from infant baptism. Like one of them is... It's clear that in the Old Testament, the little girls were part of the people of God, and yet they were not circumcised. There's no action that we know of that God did on them, but he considered them. So we leave all the judgment in the hands of God, and when you get to heaven, you will be satisfied because you'll have a mind able to understand God a lot better than you do right now, that whatever decisions he makes, when you, when you get to heaven... Uh, for example, Steve, you may find people there you didn't think were going to make it. And that's all in the hands of God. Okie doke. I think we've uh, lost Steve. And let's uh, go on down the line here. And I think we've got Gary. Are you on the line? Uh, this is Sandy from Alton, uh, Pastor. Okay. Well, that's one problem we're having here. The names aren't who you are. <laughs> okay. well, we'll get that fixed for next week, but go ahead, Sandy. Yes, uh, Pastor, I'd like to comment regarding the call. Uh, the lady had called about the rapture and some of the misinterpretations. I used to believe in the two-stage rapture until I went right to Scripture, read some of those parables, the very words of Christ, uh, one in particular is the uh, Wheaton Tears, the parable, when he was asked what it, what's going to happen. He explains that the Wheaton Tears grow together till the end. Yes. And what comes at, at that time, his holy angels come and he, they sweep away the tares, the unbelievers, into judgment. And his holy people worldwide are waiting for his appearing. This is that blessed hope. Absolutely. Paul, Paul talks about, he says, the blessed hope is the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. They have these different segment, segmented uh, theories, and they will use scripture, but they're completely out of line with what Christ himself teaches will happen. And that's just a little added uh, note for her information and others. The wheat and tares clearly explain how it's going to be at the consummation of the age. Thank you, paper. Uh, Thank before you, you leave, yes. do you know why he uses the word tares? 
because they look like the wheat. Yes, yes, until the harvest. Sometimes yeah. you can't tell them apart. You can't tell them apart. Thank you. Okay, God bless. Thank you so yes. much for calling. And we're, boy, we really appreciate those of you who are calling us right now. Uh, let's kind of go to the next person. Hi, you're on the air. I'm Tom Baker. Who's this? Hi, this is Cheryl from Indianapolis. Go, Cheryl. Okay. Uh, you were talking about uh, preaching sermons that stick. Yes. And um, I was looking uh, at my, I have a new resource called the Growing in Faith Bible. And it has illustrations and uh, children's messages uh, for the different texts. And the one that's coming up, Luke 8, 26 to 39, it has an illustration for it. Jesus drives out demons. Into the pigs. Yes, and it has an illustration. It shows Jesus coming to the man who is afflicted with the, the demons. Right. And then I'm always struck by what Jesus tells him after he's, taking him back into his right mind he says return to your home and declare how much god has done for you so if you could just talk about that a little bit i i think that's what happens to us in baptism jesus takes over and drives out the demons and brings us into his kingdom well what you need to read is the verse right after that one do you remember what it is uh, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Yeah. God's, Jesus tells him, you go declare what God has done for you. And he goes around and tells what Jesus has done for him. Yeah. Isn't that, that's really what the Bible is all about. That the God that we best know is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, Athanasian Sunday, boy, it's really hard to know a lot about the Father and the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is replete with revelation about Jesus. And you go tell everybody what God just did for you. He goes and tells everybody what Jesus just did for him. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. That's great, yeah. Okay, Thank God you. bless. Thank you for calling. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, right now, we don't have anybody on the line. But um, I, I do want to make a mention what she was talking about, how to make sermons stick and why she used illustrations. Uh, a lot of times, you may hear a sermon that uses theological terms of, of which you are unaware of. Like uh, during uh, Trinity Sunday, a lot of people look at the Athanasian Creed. And in the Athanasian Creed, there was no doubt some information about how we understand the distinction between the attributes of God. And the, the point is, though, is that if you just talk about the genus idiomaticum, Nobody's going to understand what you're saying. And that's more of a Bible study than it is a sermon. It is an explanation of how the human part of Jesus shares in the divine attributes. That's why we call it the genus idiomaticum. But, uh, and there's two more genuses, so to speak. And... Pastors need to know that, but just by mentioning them in the sermon, it's just going over the heads of people. 
And so what you want to do is you want to use a real good illustration to make it live for the people. Like one of my favorite ones is uh, people say, well, you must invite Christ into your heart. And that's how you become a child of God. And I ask then if they have children, when did their children ask them to be their parents? When did they ask them that they could be their child? This never happens. A child becomes a child either through being begotten or being adopted, but they don't cooperate at all with that becoming a child of God uh, that we don't either cooperate with. It's really important to use illustrations to help understand, because I believe every Christian already in their heart knows the answer to every question they ask. And it's a task of the pastor to bring it out of their heart and put it up to their head. I've said this a lot about sermons. The purpose of a sermon is to get into your head what you already believe in your heart, of which you've either forgotten or are ignorant of, or it's kind of the meat of the word, and that's why you need a pastor to help with that. And so that's what we were talking a little bit about and why I was really pleased with an article I wrote that helped me understand what I've been trying to say for some years here on KFUO, how to make a sermon stick. And my favorite task is by beginning every sermon with a question that most people get wrong, and then through the sermon, they learn why it was wrong, and then when somebody asks them later that day, what did the pastor preach about, they'll remember the question, and they'll remember the answer. All right. Is God an earthquake? Is he a wind? Is he a small whisper? We're going to be talking about that next Monday on Law and Gospel. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.